Uh, a roadmap for Christian living. We continue in uh, a sermon series uh, started last week. And it comes from what I would call a mentoring journey between an older prophet, Elijah, and his successor or successor to be, uh, Elisha, where they travel. Uh, you learn from uh, the book of Kings, from Gilgal to Bethel, then to Jericho, and then across the Jordan, where each of these locations by itself has a rich history. And it is instructive for us. It's got good object lessons for us. Um, but I wouldn't go so far as to talk about the, the sequence because I think the, the, uh, the thing that we can learn from the se- sequence of this travel is kind of tenuous. But uh, you need to know that many Christian, fine Christian uh, theologians and authors have written about this sequence that it should be Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and to, to Jordan. Even Watchman Nee, uh, a famous Chinese uh, theologian and writer, tried to do it in, in a book he called A Balanced Christian life. But I'd rather we just let the story of each of these places speak for itself and speak to us. So this week, we're talking about a place called Bethel. The first mention of this place called Bethel is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. This talks about Abraham. From there, Abraham moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham built an altar. He called upon the name of the Lord. And many people have interpreted that. It's a phrase that is uh, quite commonly used in the Old Testament. And many people have interpreted that as a public worship, not just a personal worship, but publicly he called upon the name of the Lord, and as well as call upon other people to, to worship the Lord. And from there, Abraham went to Egypt where he did not acquit himself so well. He, he lied to Pharaoh that Sarah, his wife, was not his wife. And then from, from Egypt, he returned, and he returned to Bethel. And that's where there was a second mention of this place called Bethel in Genesis chapter 13, Verse 1, so Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot, Lot, his, uh, uh, Lot with him, into the Negev, the desert. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So he returned to this interesting, you can call it a sacred place. And there again, he built an altar. And there again, he called on the name of the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. Next came Abraham's grandson called Jacob. You know, Jacob cheated his brother, uh, his twin brother, of his birthright. And Jacob was then sent away to Laban, his mother's brother, his uncle, to escape the wrath of his twin brother, Esau. 
So in Genesis chapter 28, this is a bit of a long passage, from verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he placed it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, in your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. And then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is a famous story of Jacob's encounter with God and what is called Jacob's leather, where in that dream he saw angels going up and down between earth where man lives and heaven where the angels and where God was. And, and I found out that uh, some trivia for you that these things are also called Jacob's Ladder. You know, this exercise machine where you climb, and then this, uh, I don't know if you are old enough or young enough to know this game. Ta, 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 ta. You know, Jacob's Ladder. And it's, it's all grace. You know, after Jacob lied to his own father and stole the birthright from his twin brother, and he had to run away and escape, God appeared to him. In agreement, God said, I will take care of you. In fact, you will be a blessing to, to the nations. It's, it's all grace. And out of that, Jacob tried to make a deal with God. In this place called Bethel, he gave that name. Beth means house, El means God. So Bethel is house of God. And that, God, if you bless me one day that I can return home to my father, then I will tithe to you. And Further down in Genesis, in chapters 31 and 35, Bethel uh, appears again as, place, as the place where God spoke to Jacob. And it was that whole journey, returning again and again to Bethel, that Jacob was transformed, that he was finally broken, and that he was able to be a blessing and a blessing to the 12 tribes. 
And then again, from there in Genesis to the time of the judges, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was also kept in, in Bethel. And people would go to this place called Bethel uh, again and again to inquire of the Lord, to have an encounter with God. So that's Bethel. What does it mean to have an encounter with God? What comes to mind when I say encounter with God? Must it be a dramatic, wow kind of encounter where many people have experienced that you, you fall under the power of God, the Holy Spirit, your, your, your needs just become jelly and then you fall, but there is this sense of peace that, that comes uh, upon you. Or you are so emotionally and deeply touched that, that you will cry like, like without stopping for, for a season. Or, or you receive a word of knowledge that you would otherwise not have known. Like recently I read a Facebook post of uh, someone who, who just heard something about uh, uh, somebody maybe wanting to commit suicide. And then this person traveled. Uh, to that place, knock on the door and say, are you going to commit suicide? A, a friend, of course. And they say, how did you know? That word of knowledge, would that be that dramatic, wow, kind of uh, encounter or some miraculous healing or some near-death uh, escape? Must it be spectacular? Must an encounter with God be spectacular or can it be in the stillness of ordinary life? Must it be unusual or can it be understated? So listen carefully to what I say now. I say, as a good card-carrying brethren pastor, that we absolutely do not need to have an encounter with God. Does that shock you? So now listen even more carefully. As a card-carrying brethren pastor, I say what you need is encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter with God. Many encounters. It's great if we have this dramatic wow experience uh, with God. But how about this way? How about you wake up every morning, maybe 4.30, maybe 5 o'clock, maybe 6 o'clock, without fail, and then you get into your time alone with God where you do your religious acts, A-C-T-S, where you have adoration before God, you adore God, then you confess for C, then you give thanksgiving to God, and then you pray in supplication. In other words, your quiet time where you read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. Is that an encounter as well? Well, this is not quite the dramatic wow encounter, but I would call it the daily walk encounter. Let me define an encounter with God this way. An encounter with God is where we see the beauty of the Lord, which elicits a love response. Every encounter is with one aspect or some aspect of the beauty and the character of God, which is beautiful, which is love, because God is love. And our response is a love response, a life-transforming response to the love of God. So how about we define an encounter with God this way? So today I want to share with you a very long sermon, nine-point sermon, you ready for a nine-point sermon? That has been very helpful to me personally in my own journey with God this, this 41 years. And it has also helped me to relate with fellow pilgrims on this journey with God, this Christian life. And I'm referring to 
this book by a guy called Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways, where he postulates how people respond to God, how people encounter God in one of nine ways, nine different ways, and how we all, each one of us, have different pathways or at least different inclinations or, or different what is called spiritual temperaments. Okay, let's go. Nine. The first one is naturalists, and that is encountering God through His creation, through, through nature. And I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from. A naturalist encounters God out of doors, outdoors in nature. They feel close to God when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, and then they will sing out their soul. Right? You know that hymn. And something like in Psalm 23, when David talks about, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And people feel close to God when they get out of doors and they walk among nature, they encounter, they experience God. And this is where I guess in Singapore we have a, a, a slight disadvantage. Right? We're not like in New Zealand or, or some place where you can just, wow, I lift my eyes. To, to the hills. But we still, we still have scenes like this, provided trees don't fall, and it's really a sad thing. Okay, I mean, we shouldn't laugh. It's, it's really a very sad thing. But we still have scenes like this, uh, provided first that trees don't fall, and provided that someone is not blasting exercise music, and someone else is shouting, one, two, three, four, two, two, three. I really, it totally spoils the ambience of uh, botanic gardens. But if you are a naturalist, then perhaps this evening, you ought to go there and encounter God as a, as a naturalist. Uh, but even if you don't go anywhere, okay, you take a walk around PPH today, you can also encounter God as a naturalist. And I took these pictures one day pretending to be a naturalist. And, and I was amazed. You know, if you just open your eyes and see what's around you, even here in, in this PPH compound, you can see some of the, the most wonderful creation uh, of God, and you can encounter God that way. So number one, naturalists. Number two, sensates. Sensates come from the word senses, and this is where you encounter God with your senses, your five senses. Okay? So a, God, a, a sensate encounters God through his senses, and, and we think of the fantastic imagery of Revelation or, or of Ezekiel, in uh, the two books of the Bible as, as that kind of wow uh, experience that, that these two have encountered. But others are not quite so dramatic wow. Um, Henri Nouwen, Nouwen, one uh, theologian, was so enraptured by this picture on the right, Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son or the return of the prodigal son, that he sat in that museum day after day after day just meditating and just encountering God through that. And as a result, there was a love response. And his response set him on a new path, from being a Yale University divinity professor to quitting his job and then going to work in a centre for the mentally disabled adults. That was what happened to Henri uh, Nouwen, who was a sensate. Just the sense of a picture and watching something. And some people... Um, encountered God in the magnificence of architecture. So they would go to 
a cathedral, they will look at stained glass window. We have one here behind the screen. It's only got two colors, you know, right? Uh, uh, yellow and red. Stained glass windows. Senses are also transported to heaven by, by music. And a very good example would be Handel's Messiah, you know, especially the Hallelujah chorus. It has touched the soul of many a sensate. And, and for some people, louder even, shofar, you know, that, that ram's horn, and it's, oh, it really blasts your ear. And people are uplifted when, when they hear that, or, or tambourines. Even smells, right? You know that in a very traditional church, they will swing this incense. And, and some people love that. It brings them into God's uh, presence. So number three, traditionalists. And this is encountering God through ritual and symbol. A ritual that is found in traditional liturgy. For example, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, where there are set prayers for just about every situation and every type of uh, service uh, that you can do in church. And you just read the same prayer that other people through the ages, for hundreds of years, have read that same prayer. And you feel like you're connected with the body of Christ, you're connected with God, you encounter God. Many years ago, when I was a very young believer, I was talking to a Catholic friend, uh, actually the, the same Catholic friend who, who led me to Christ, or at least gave me a Bible. And I said that here in church, we just walk up here and then we just pray, you know, extemporaneously. And he said, oh, he couldn't understand that. Because for him, every prayer was carefully written and read. And it's written by somebody else. And you just, you just read that, that prayer. For him, prayer was like that. So it's, it's a very different kind of approach to God. He didn't understand that we don't read our prayers. We just, in broken English, we just pray like this. Traditionalists like to follow uh, a church calendar. And, and we will do that. We have a season of Lent that's coming up that leads us through, through to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. There, um, there is the, the day of Pentecost, the, the day of Advent, etc. And a tradi traditionalists would like to follow that. And a traditionalist would also appreciate this sermon series because it covers traditional places like Gilgal and Jericho and Bethel and Jordan. And just on Friday... Uh, I was having lunch with someone, and someone told me that he attended a traditional Christian service in Romania one time. And they said, even though he didn't understand a word of what was sung or what was preached, he was so moved that he attended the next service after that. Two services in a row. So I hope that this person who is sitting right at the back will attend our second service. <laughs> Not so traditional. It's, it's like that, right? You just... Encounter God in, in the strangest way, even without knowledge uh, of the language. Third, uh, uh, no, uh, what is it? Fourth, ascetics, encountering God in solitude and simplicity. This is prayer, fasting, solitude. And good examples of these would be the early desert fathers, where they just withdrew from uh, normal uh, society and then they go into the desert and they pray, and they set up monasteries, and they have a following after them. Uh, examples of St. Francis of Assisi, uh, St. Anthony of Egypt, and a very interesting one is St. Simeon, and I've got kind of a representation here. He lived on the top of a pillar for how long? 47 years. 
And all he did was meditate and pray to God for 47 years. Of course, he taught from the top of that pillar as well. And how did he die? He died on top of that pillar, stooped over, but in prayer. Okay, you've got to give respect for this, okay, even if you don't understand. But this is a traditionalist. Next, activists. Encountering God through social change. Encountering God through fighting for justice and social change. Like fighting against casinos or gambling. Uh, fighting against the, the activism of the LGBT uh, lobby. And a shining example of this is William Wilberforce of England, who was instrumental in abolishing slavery. And he went through thick and thin, but managed in the end to get the act through to Parliament to abolish slavery in England. It's like Moses fighting for the Hebrews to the extent of killing unwisely an Egyptian slave master. It's like Peter chopping off the ear of that soldier who came to arrest Christ. Activists encountering God through social change. Now we have caregivers encountering God by caring for others and no better example than Mother Teresa who lives out Matthew chapter 25, right? When Jesus says, uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. Not some other person, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And then he said, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So it's as close as, as that. It's not even close. It's to him. It's a mystery. But that is how caregivers encounter God. And you know, Mother Teresa said, Jesus is falling, Jesus is falling. Help him up. And it wasn't Jesus. But in some mysterious way, it was, according to Matthew chapter 25. And the author of Sacred Pathways described it this way. One time when he had to clean the vomit of some drunk um, who vomited on the toilet seat of a disabled toilet. And he knew that his disabled friend would soon wake up and use that toilet. So in the middle of the night, he got up and he cleaned the vomit of that toilet seat without telling anyone. Except now that he told it in this story, in, in, in the book. And his, di his di disabled friend didn't know it and just went to use the toilet. And, and he saw that as I cleaned the horrible stuff of the toilet, I encountered God. He saw the heart of God. That's what he said. So caregivers. And enthusiasts. Encountering God with mystery and celebration. You recognize these two ladies? It was a second service, I think, three or four years ago, and uh, I took a picture right, right down there near the AVA corner, and I thought, one day I will use this picture. One day. And it's like four years later. And I thought it's just a great description. If, for those of us who know Rebecca Wu um, and, and Sharon, who, have both, who are both missionaries, and, and you know what they are like, right? what kind of personality they are like. It's, a, it's enthusiastic. It's joyful celebration. It's like David dancing uh, before the Lord. They cannot help themselves. When they worship God, they've got to jump, they've got to clap, they've got to shout, they've got to dance, they've got to wave banners in worship, which is very disruptive to me. But <laughs> it works. It works for them. They are enthusiasts. That's why they like. They encounter God that way. Under this category called enthusiasts, uh, Gary Thomas also talks about uh, encountering God through, through mystery, dreams, 
and visions are classified under, under this as well. Okay, the eighth one, second last one, contemplatives. The encountering God through adoration, where people are, are lost in divine romance and wonder, where a contemplative will picture God as a lover and use terms in their contemplation such as, I am holding hands with God and I am in a loving relationship with God. The meditative types who can meditate on the Lord's Prayer word by word. So you spend 15 minutes meditating on, what is the first word? Ah. Our Father in Heaven? Ah. 15 minutes. Then 16th minute, Father. Okay, meditate another half an hour on Father. And then another 15 minutes on our Father in Heaven. In. Okay, I, you know that I'm not a contemplative. <laughs> I'm making fun of contemplatives, which I shouldn't do. And, and, and they use languages as beauty and intimacy with God and, and, and such. So the contemplatives, and they love silent retreats so that we can hold hands with God in intimacy. A silent retreat. I tried it once. I tried it once in the year 2010. I went to a Kelong in Batam, and this was the result. Why do you be silent for so long, right? Silence brings you to sleep. Okay, now the last one. Intellectuals. Encountering God with the mind or the intellect. And this is where people love the world of concepts, right? Armenianism versus Calvinism. Uh, the, the world of apologetics and how can there be a God if there is so much evil in this world? The world of the Ravi Zacharias and, and the Francis Schaeffers. And then and Ravi Zacharias has this uh, classic answer, right? He will say, um, what makes you think that there is evil in this world? If there is evil, then there is good. And <coughs> if there is good, then there is an objective standard of what is good and what is evil. And if there is an objective standard for good, then there is an objective standard giver who is God. So if there is no God, then there is no good, nor is there evil, then what is the question? Uh, he, he's, he's, uh, again and again, okay, I always listen to Ravi Zacharias as an aspiring intellectual, uh, and that comes again and again. It's like people can think and, and try and figure out how can Moses say that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth and wrote that down himself. Uh, these kind of questions. Just last Tuesday, I was asked this question, why did God give us free will to make decisions and then punish us for the wrong decisions that we make? My answer, sang nao jing. It hurts the veins of my brains. In, 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 in Mandarin, is a literal translation. And, and so I just said, almost combatively, I said, so would you rather be a robot and have no choice at all? Uh, then I said, maybe let me go and consult Ravi Zacharias um, before I give you a more gracious answer. And somebody said that intellectuals do not give on Valentine's Day coming up in two days. They don't give chocolate hearts. They give chocolate brains. <laughs> ah, that, that will really... <laughs> well, so there you have it. The nine sacred pathways to encountering God. So which one 
or which ones are yours? I, I think many of us might already have some sense of, of what we are. And, and we do have a simple tool to help you uh, figure out your pathway to God. And uh, there is that website. You can just download that PDF and you can do it. It's very simple. It doesn't even take 10 minutes. And it sort of helps you to, to figure out what your pathway is. I want to encourage you to do that. And especially for those of you who are meeting in cell groups, then do it in the cell group and then discuss among yourselves. Um, I'm going to put this, uh, this PDF online as well so that you can download it together with the sermon and, and the PowerPoint. Or, or you can contact Pekchu and myself, uh, a text message, an email, and I'll just send it to you. But do it and, and get a better sense of yourself and how God has shaped you and what is your spiritual temperament or what is your bent in encountering God. Well, I have to make a quali- qualification and, and that is, is it's important to note that what the Bible says, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and therefore we are not about to fit easily into one or two or three of nine categories, right? It's, it's life is never as... Uh, Simple as that. And, and I think of King David. King David, who lifted his eyes unto the hills from whence his help come from, sounds like a naturalist who encountered God um, in, in nature, but he also encountered God in music and in the Psalms as a sensate who participated in the Jewish liturgical worship as a traditionalist and who fasted and kept solitude as an ascetic and who was an activist as a military general and a political leader, who was a caregiver to Mephibosheth, the, his best friend, Jonathan's uh, crippled son, and who was an enthusiast who danced before the Lord, even though his wife, Michal, uh, mocked him, and who was a contemplative and intellectual that you can sort of sense from the Psalms that he wrote. So he was everything. You think of the Lord Jesus too, who said that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like the simple lilies of the few, and that's a naturalist. And that Jesus would provide for senses and non-senses alike the sacraments of the Holy Communion. It's such a visual picture of his death uh, and his sacrifice and of baptism, of death and rising again, a simple but sensory-rich encounter with the divine. And Jesus who celebrated the Passover as a traditionalist, who fasted 40 days as an ascetic, who overturned tables of the merchants in the temple as an activist and who touched and healed many as a caregiver and who was an enthusiast, I believe, at the wedding at Cana where he would dance together with the folks there and with the many children and who contemplated in the Garden of Gethsemane his own death and his suffering and who tackled many, many trick questions as an intellectual. So, Pao Ka okay, he covered everything. So some of us may indeed have more than one pathway and it may even be different at different seasons of our lives and in different circumstances. But I do think that there is a dominant bent um, and, and we do, each one of us have some uh, bent or inclination towards uh, one or two of these uh, spiritual pathways. So what do you think mine is? Well, I did a survey again. This is like three years ago with all our full-time staffs and missionary. We, 
we all come back just before Chinese New Year, right? So there were 27 of us uh, that year, and I, I went through the same exercise with them. And can you contemplate the fact that 38% of our full-time staff and missionaries are contemplatives? But we can act on the fact that we have at least 19% who are activists. So what am I? Uh, CG leaders who are here, please uh, uh, do this as a group. And then give me the data. Okay? No names. Just let me know, right? In my group, there are 10 of us and there are three contemplatives and six activists. And I, just give me so that I can consolidate and then I can present the data back to you and then you guys have a good sense. I wanted to say good laugh at it, but no. Uh, a good sense of how this church is, is like. And I have to say that if we have many ascetics after we get back this data, then we will do away with Sunday refreshments. <laughs> and we will switch off the aircon. That sounds like a threat. Well, you know, this way of looking at sacred pathways uh, is how Gary Thomas described it. How people encounter God has, has helped me a lot. You know, it has helped me to be a bit more gracious, um, at least a little less obnoxious. Uh, you see, I used to look down on contemplatives. I despise, uh, or not despise, uh, too strong a word, disparage traditionalists. I feel uncomfortable with enthusiasts, the people who wave banners. And then I shake my shang naoqing head at the intellectuals. I may have some grudging respect for ascetics. And in my mind, only caregivers and activists really encounter God and are real Christians. <laughs> okay. That's uh, in the past. Huh? But seriously, when was your last encounter with God? Was it a dramatic wow uh, kind or a daily walk kind. Abraham became the father of the faithful after his many encounters with God, dramatic wow and daily walk. Jacob was transformed from a cheat and a Trump-like deal-maker into the patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel, whose name was changed by God from supplanter or cheat to Israel to one who prevails with God or one who became finally triumphant with God or victorious with God, Israel. So, you look at the spiritual pathways. If you are a naturalist, then make time for it. Go for it. Go to some garden, go to some nature walk and encounter God. If you're an activist or a caregiver, then you have to join the ACP advocacy course. Help someone. If you're an enthusiast, then when we sing this closing song, even though it's going to be a, a slow song, then sing it with all the depth of your being. If you're a contemplative or an intellectual, then subscribe to the Ravi Zacharias podcast. Right? It's called Just Thinking. And you can listen. Every day, there's like a 15 or 20-minute sermon from Ravi Zacharias. And I listen to him. Actually, I listen to him almost every day. If you're an ascetic, then faster go and fast. Okay, don't take refreshment or whatever. Yeah? That, make sure you encounter God uh, with the, the, the spiritual temperament that He has given you. But let's go back to that definition of encounter with God. An encounter with God is where we see the beauty of the Lord which elicits a love response. You know that the beauty of God can be seen in a bug, as in an, in an insect, and I came across this story of Charles Spurgeon, one of the famous preachers in, in England of many years ago. He tells of this man who went to a chapel 
only to listen to the, the choir sing. He, was, he wasn't interested in Christian things at all. So when he went there, the choir was singing, he enjoyed the music. And then the preacher came up to preach and he put his hands on his, his fingers in his ears. He just didn't want to listen to the preaching, as some of you may be. Oh, nobody here. Okay. Then after a while, an insect landed on his face. So he had to take one finger out and then to brush off the insect. And when he did that, in that split second, the pastor said, He that has ears, let him hear. <laughs> and then the man listened. No choice, right? Because he was brushing off the insect. And it elicited a love response. He gave to Christ, his life to Christ that day. Just like that. And that's a, as dramatic a wow encounter as can be. But we too, we too, I believe, can have four encounters at least in a day with God. Once when we have our time alone with God, our so-called quiet time where you read your Bible, pray every day. And three other times in a day when we give thanks for breakfast, lunch and dinner or more if you have more meals than that. My father has five meals a day. And every encounter, whether it is roti prata at breakfast or wonton noodles at lunch or Xiao Lo Fan, which is Cantonese for plain rice with soya sauce, uh, the poor man's diet at dinner. It, elicits, it elicits a love response. At least you say, thank God for daily provision, for a daily meal, and for your promise and your working of my life out in abundant life. That promise. So every encounter, whether it's a, it's a dramatic wow one or a daily walk one, elicits a love response. To love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And, and you know this verse, right? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. With all your heart, as an ascetic or as a traditionalist or as a naturalist or as an enthusiast with all your soul, with your will as a sensate or contemplative, all your mind as an intellectual and with all your strength, your neighbor as yourself, as an activist or a caregiver. So encounter God. You have your own way. Different people might have different ways. We cannot squeeze out a dramatic wow encounter with God that is from God's grace, even to uh, uh, as nasty a character as Jacob, but it was God's way of transforming him uh, many, many times in his journey uh, to Bethel. And God does the same to us. But there is something that we can do, and that is our daily walk with God. Let me invite the musicians up. And, and the song that was introduced earlier, uh, Sheila Walsh, I found out. I, in fact, I have a CD. It's, it's amazing, right? Savior of my heart. But you know, I, I, I sort of think that the practice of quiet time and even saying grace, is it going obsolete quite soon? Um, it, it will go obsolete. It will become obsolete if it is a religious duty. But when we think about it as a relationship, about it as an encounter, and as, and, and as I grow, grow older, I feel it more intensely. It's like, what if my children were so busy they have no time to relate with me or encounter uh, with me. So, like for selfish reasons, I now visit my parents 
twice a week and to have my twice a week encounter uh, with them and, and I selfishly think that uh, my sons will see this and see a good example that when I grow older they will at least come and visit me twice a week and both my sons are here okay I lie I lie okay it is not with selfish reasons uh, it's just relational reasons right I visit my parents because they are my father and my mother and likewise you will have your daily encounters with God because only because He is loving Father so we must encounter we must build that relationship with Him He is the keeper of our soul He is the saviour of our heart and we seek Him in the morning we seek His face at night why don't we stand and just sing this song quietly together and let's encounter God us as an object of your love and so we return that love with gratitude with appreciation for a loving Heavenly Father who journeys with us in this life, who's promised to us 
is abundant life. Through trials and difficulties, no doubt, but God, you are with us. And so we seek your face this morning, this Sunday. We seek your face every day. And so God, help us with the spiritual temperament that you've given to each one of us to understand that and to journey with you with how you have made us. God, let us experience you in the depth of our soul, whether it is through a walk in nature, an activist pushing for justice and social change, or just through the senses of smell and sight and sound, or through lifting someone up with the compassion of Christ as a caregiver, or through the figuring out of your ways through our intellect and to be able to explain that to someone. God in the midst of death and evil. And so Father, I pray that each one of our souls will be lifted up as we encounter you, as we journey with you each day. That you will be a very present help in times of trouble, in any difficulty, we lift our eyes up to you. You are our help. In dramatic ways and in daily ways. So thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name.